You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way, the Faithway. That out of control causes a lot of problems, as we've seen throughout the, you know, throughout the series. And, of course, I think a lot of it can bring it into your own personal life. And I've heard some good testimonies. And I thank you for your testimonies because, really, this, this series was almost like on a, it's a personal journey of maybe 25 years of trying to figure some things out. And that's why I led the series by saying this is the message that, for the younger people, you know, 30s, funny you say younger people 30s, right? Younger people in your 30s um, is a message I wish I would have heard in my 30s, even as a minister. You know, I mean it, even as a minister. I can tell you right now, and, and, and you, don't be up, you don't beat yourself up over it, right? Because you say, well, gosh, I wasted 15 years on something I should have learned. Well, guess what? It's never too late, right? I mean, you got it now. So now you, you take it from this point forward, and you do the best you can with it. So we're going to start, and there's, a, there's an interesting... I wasn't too sure if I wanted to go down this path, but let's, let's go with it. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 5. It's not on the screens. Just open your form of Bible, electronic, paper, or rock, if you brought a tablet or something. You know, if you want to go that far back, as we were joking. And 2 Kings, we find the story once again of Naaman. And there's a little twist to the story that, that you know, a lot of people don't really... I believe, well, let me, let me back up because I have all these thoughts, right? I believe that there's nothing in the Bible that's just there. You know, there's a lot of history, and I mean, you get you can go to Matthew 1 and get bogged down on the genealogy and all that, but it's not even bogged down because you find out how precise the records were about Jesus' birth and all that. So, so you know, but everything in the Bible is significant. So when you get to the to the story of, of 2 Kings, and I believe that the Old Testament was given to us more than anything to look at lives, you know, because the Old Testament has one characteristic of the whole story of the Old Testament. It's the human journey without God, in you. Can I say it that way? And you see the struggle, oh, we love you, God, and then they go do some ter- terrible, stupid things, right? So the whole, whole Old Testament is about a struggle of a person trying to be spiritual without God, without God infused. In other words, without the, the living, and, and that's why, you know, there was a lot of the laws that God, the laws weren't originally God's idea, but I'm not going to bug down. So, you know, the Old Testament brings all these ideas of, how, and, and a lot of them are really, if you look at the big stories of the Bible, from David to, to Abraham to Naaman, you could go down all of them, Elijah, Elisha. You see that struggle. You see like, wow, we're super powerful spiritual beings, and then they're like running from a woman. Well, some of you have already done that, but that's all right. That's all right. You know, it's like, you know, Noah builds the ark. Then he goes, gets drunk. <laughs> you know, it's like Abraham, you know, the son of covenant. So he goes... And has a child with the maid. I mean, it's like this struggle, right, of human frailty, I guess. So that, to me, is like the Old Testament. You can go in and dig and dig and dig and find out a lot of these things that we deal with today. You find them in these stories, right? Sometimes you have to dig them out. So my point of that is, in, in 2 Kings chapter 5, you find the, like the, you know, a part of the Naaman story 
that is, doesn't get preached to a lot. I've heard a couple sermons about it, but I've never heard this one because this one I just believe, you know, was, you know, I've never heard it from this angle. So maybe somebody preached it. I don't want to say, I'm the, you know, I don't want to go there. Somebody probably did preach it. So I'm going to really fast forward because of time. So the story of Naaman, if you've been following the series, that was the original Naaman. You know, he was a very powerful man. And he was covered with leprosy. He wasn't from the nation of Israel. But he heard that there were miracles over there. And he goes over there and he, he brings gifts. You know, back then you never showed up anywhere without gifts. And if you really wanted favor, you showed up with lavish gifts. You know, when they talk about, you know, the Queen of Sheba visiting Solomon, she didn't show up with two little camels. You know, she showed up with massive amounts of wealth. Even when the, in the birth of Christ, we got that whole thing wrong. When they say kings from the east, they don't have three little guys with three little boxes on your Christmas card. You know, they, they, they can assume at the very least there was probably three, potentially there could have been 40, 60, 100 in that caravan that went to worship Jesus. So, she sh- you know, he shows up with a lot of stuff and because, let me go off the title, we're going to deal with this. I say, if we finish it today, fine. If not, we'll take it in next week. But you really do, if, you, if we take it in next week, please come next week. Because I know, you know, some of you like, I'll go this Sunday, I'll go that Sunday, whatever. You're going to miss something that could potentially really change your life and manage your life and manage your money and a lot of good things. So the title of, of today's is just basically Ego and Materialism, and we're going to break all this thing down. But I want to I lead with the story of Naaman, and I want you to go all the way down. So, so he goes there. Let me, let me finish the story. So Naaman goes. He, he presents himself. He has this ego trip that we already talked about. That like, are you kidding me? The guy didn't even come to see me. So, so the issue that he was there, he forgot about it, and his ego took over. So we already talked about that. So he finally gets healed. He does what the prophet does, and he's super excited. But there's another little character that's not completely excited with the way the thing played out. And this guy, you, 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 know, you find him, he's, he's um, you know, Elijah's servant, the guy that helps him there. So after all this happens, let me go all the way back down to where he gets healed and all that. Uh, let's see, Second Kings, go all the way down to... Okay, now let's go all the way down to, I'm trying to find, okay, here we go. So, Jehazi, however you want to pronounce it, um, different ways, verse 20, is a servant, right? And all this happens, and, you know, he gets healed, end of story, wonderful story. Naaman still tries to give him stuff. Pay attention to this, because we're going to get into the meat now. Naaman says, come on, let me bless you. He says, no, 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 this is not how it is. This is not how this one's going to play out. There's times when you honor the man of God, and there's times when the man of God says, no, this is it. This is it. Go on. Well, his servant didn't quite like that. So he, he comes into the, the picture now. So let's pick up in verse 20. He says, but Jehazi, Jehazi, the servant of Elijah, the, the man of God, said, behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian in not receiving of his hand that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. I know that's a lot of old English to saying, I can't believe you just let him go with all the stuff. All right? And he says, maybe if I play this right, I can go over there and get some of the stuff for me. So now, no, now we're moving into this idea of ego and materialism. And you really have to get this one because, like I said, if it takes two sessions, it takes two. It takes more. But this is the one thing. There's this play that we're all affected by. And I don't want to lead into it. But you see him. And he goes in and he runs after him. So we pick up in verse... 21, he stops the chariot. Verse 22, he said, all is well. He said, what's wrong? You know, Naaman says, what's wrong? He said, all is well. My master has sent me, saying, behold, now that be come for me to Mount Ephraim, two young men of the sons of the prophets, give me, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Well, that was a lie, right? Because he never told him to do that. 
So he keeps, he keeps saying, Naaman is just super excited. He's not dying. He said, look, I brought this all for him anyway. This is really all his. I'm not, I don't even know why I'm taking it back. He says, be content, take two talents. And he urged him, pay attention to this, and bound two talents of silver to bags with two changes of garments. Now that little two changes of garments is interesting. I'll tell you what. And laid them upon his servant, and they bare them before him. And he, when he came to the tower, he took them from their hands and bestowed them in the house and let the men go. And they departed. But when he went and stood before his master, he's back with all the stuff, right? And Elijah said unto him, where did, where did you go, Jehazi? And he said, thy servant went no whither. And he said unto him, went not my heart with thee when the man turned again from this chariot to meet thee? In other words, he knows what's up. Is it time to receive money? Pay attention. Is it time to receive money? No, there's a time to receive money. If we don't receive money, we're all in a bad place, right? Because that's what makes the wheels move in the system. And olive yards, and vineyards, and sheep, and oxen, and men servant, and maid servants. The leprosy, therefore, of Naaman shall cleave unto thee. Now, this is brutal. Now, question: Did God put the leprosy on him? No, it doesn't say that. It just says the leprosy is now on you. Now, again, I'm not a. I got to tread this carefully because I got a doctor in front of me, a real one. So if I'm wrong, you can, you free, feel free to correct me on this one. I believe that the leprosy was on the clothes. Is that possible? Oh, it's transmitted. Okay. Okay, don't borrow clothes from a leper in case you know, all right? So it's really interesting. Like, we have this little backstory, you know, great miracle, wonderful story. We could preach all kinds of sermons, all, all kind of life applications. But we end up with talking about Jehazi and his and materialism and how that thing possessed him. And he missed the mark to the point of death. So this is a pretty brutal story about your ego and materialism controlling, right? Because he's like, well, wait, wait, wait. First of all, Jehazi had no need of anything. He's a servant under life. He has everything he needs in life. Y'all, I'm, I'm already preaching to you all, so you all need to get some of these little golden nuggets I'm pitching at you. He's pretty much got everything he needs. But something in him says, I need more. It's, I'm not quite complete. So now ego kicks in, and it begins to fuel this idea of materialism. And we're really going to talk about that, but I just want to show you, because it's a really interesting story of how one person just went off completely into some, you know, materialistic idea. And what did he end up with? We ended up with a lot of silver and gold, but he also ended up with leprosy. So it is kind of a, one of those, uh, you know, twists because this wasn't the moment. So you see it play out here. You know, you see Naaman's ego play out. He submits, he gets healed. But then you see Jehazi's ego kick in. And he got the curse. One got the blessing, one got the curse. All right? Now, let's go, in, let's go into some of this. Like I said, I trust me, I have like these conversations with me every morning. I'm like, Sunday morning, come on, don't take too much time. Don't get on tangents, don't get on. And then I do everything I say I'm not going to do. So today, y'all pray for me. All right, let's get into this. So let's get all the definitions. You guys know I'm a definition guy. Let's, get, let's go with it. Materialism is a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort. Pay attention to this. As more important than spiritual values. That's right out of the dictionary. That is no spiritual dictionary. This is not Vine's Concordance. This is dictionary. So materialism, very simple definitions, a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. Again, this is coming from a secular book. It is, you know, saturated with the truth because that is materialism. Materialism, my definition would be this one, which is based on that one, but it would be a little more spiritual definition. It's just my definition that I've come up over the years to try to define materialism is trying to meet a spiritual need with material goods. That is my definition. You have a spiritual void, and we got to fill it. 
that since we don't know how to fill it, we try to fill it with stuff. All right? Yeah, materialism, materialism, let me just put it this way, could still fall under the category of a, just a noun. So don't just think, oh, stuff, cars, toys, gold. No, it can be a person. <laughs> you can be obsessed and you can be materialistic because anything that you believe will supply a need, a spiritual or emotional need, because it's connected, it's two different things, you know, soul, soul needs, spirit needs. We'll talk about that maybe in the future. But your soul has certain needs, your spirit has certain needs. And they work together. They're not the same thing, but they work together. But at the same time, once again, a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort greater, that's, their, that's the, the dictionary definition. My definition is, I have a void in, either in my soul, I have a void in my spirit, and the only thing I can reach into is stuff. And that's why it's never enough, right? Okay, so that's your definition. Let's keep moving. So, this is what I want you to understand where I'm coming from. And if you're wondering what those little, I forgot to delete those, those little words there are my notes. The I, this is the way I prepare my outlines, W. I'll explain that later. It's not important. Those, forget that. But I come from a culture of austerity. I grew up in that culture. Maybe it's different for most of you. What do you mean, Pastor? I grew up in central Mexico. We weren't broke. You know, both of my parents were university professors in Mexico. We lived fine. We didn't live crazy wealthy. You know, we, we, we were comfortable, but it was a culture of austerity, meaning everything got fixed. You guys remember some older other people? You didn't, you, didn't, you know, nowadays you, your TV breaks down, you go throw it away. Uh-uh. <laughs> Not in Mexico, everything breaks down, you get it fixed. Because that was the mindset, right? There's lack. Well, I'm, I'm sharing my personal story and, and how I, this is like really personal and really opening, and you know, if you don't have an honest preacher, then who can you trust, right? So I come to America in 1990, like, you know, I've been coming and going, but America was always, as a child, it was always the place to get stuff. I'm growing up in Mexico, so we came to the United States twice a year, to, to here, you know, Miranda City, to visit my grandparents. Came in the summer, came in Christmas. That was, and, and both of them were like, in the summer, you got all your clothes for school, all your stuff, your new shoes, your new, 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 maybe a few toys, nothing like today, you know, just something maybe. Christmas came around, the same thing. So as a child, you grow up and it says, America is this beautiful, you know, place where just you get all the stuff you want. Okay, so you move up. I move up here, coming from having nothing, barely affording a car in Mexico. I had a Volkswagen Beetle, best car ever. How many know? 1982, not the gay one. I'm sorry, can you say that? I just did. Not the gay ones they sell nowadays. I'm talking about the other ones, right? I know. I'll get some hate mail. That's all right. But they have a place to put your flower. Are you kidding me? Those are, that, my Beetle wasn't like that. My Beetle rocked, man. My Beetle was like on the ground. It had headers. It had a 97 rock sticker on it. It had big, huge speakers. Anyway. But we were broke all the time. That was my point. All the time, you never had enough for nothing. You, I mean, invest, nothing. You, I mean, you got. And I worked for the government. My wife worked for the government. We worked for the uh, electrical company up in the mountains and geothermal projects. Blah blah blah. My point is, we had two government salaries in Mexico, and we, we were not. You know, there was no way context of any money being left over at the end of the paycheck. Everything was. You had to watch everything, right? So you come up. You, you, you know, that's how you grow up. So you come up to the United States, and you're like, wow, okay, it's here. And I didn't realize how that affected me. So first you get up, you're like, wow, you know, credit. Boo, boo. I didn't have no credit, so it took me a while. You know, 
It's funny, when I moved up to the States, people are trying to figure out why I'm, I'm trying to get a driver's license at 21. Were, were you on Mars or what? I might have lived here. But, you know, so I, all this world opens up to me. I get a job. I'm making lots of money compared to Mexico. And this whole world of credit opens up to me, right? Ya se acabaron los amenes y los aleluyas. That's all right. Uh, you know, my pastor's always getting in our business. No, I'm not. If you don't want me to get in your business, don't come to church. I'm not going to your house. You're coming to this one. So, hello. Where does our obsession with stuff come from? I was obsessed with stuff, and I bought bought till I put myself pretty much into bankruptcy. Repos and the whole thing. Come on, y'all look at me like, oh, pastor. Uh, the only difference between you and me is that most of you are not honest enough to come up here and say, you've been there, done that. Can you raise a hand just to say if you've been there? Thank you, Laura. I love you, brother. You were, you, Laura just shot his hand up. He's a man of God. I know that now. No, we've all been there. And get, what, what happens when you fall into that pressure? Pressure on your marriage. Pressure every area. Your health. I mean, if you don't think money has power, wait till you don't have any. And what it does to your psyche. What it does to your marriage. What it does to your kids. What it does to everything. It's just a terrible thing. The root of all evil, right? And the theme is not money. We're talking about ego and materialism. That's what we have to navigate, but this is the big one. So I come up here, and I'm just obsessed with stuff, 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 till till you basically bankrupt yourself. And even after I recovered from that, I still was there, right? And it's always this, and it's always this, and it's always this. Now, here's what I want to clarify a statement, because I really want to be careful. The difference, and it might be in the outline, I don't even know, but I have to say it now. The difference between materialism, it's in there. It's going to be, a, it's, it's way up in the front, but I want to throw it out here right now. Some of you are like, oh, so what? So, Pastor, I can't go buy something nice? Of course you can. But the difference between me going and buying something, I, because there's only three things, three reasons you buy something. There's only three reasons. You can write these down if you want. There's only three reasons. You absolutely need it. I mean, if you don't have it, you probably won't wake up in the morning. Water, food, shelter, clothes. You absolutely need it. Then there's a category where you want it. Nothing wrong with that. And then the third category is the one that we're dealing with, and the other one is the only reason your ego wants that. Now, your ego wants it. The third reason is the only reason that isn't there is because somehow the opinion of other people of you is going to increase in your perspective. In other words, materialism. I buy stuff not because I absolutely need it, and not because I want it. I buy it to impress. And that's where the thing gets really dangerous. And we'll break it down. So, so the other one, so, so, you know, for example, if I go, you know, let's just use an example, hunting. We all understand. And I'm going to go, and not that I need any right now, because i got way too many. But it's, I'm gonna, I need a rifle. So I'm going to go buy a rifle, and I'm going to buy an expensive rifle. I don't care, you know, whatever it costs. Put the best scope on it and put it in a blind, and shoot a deer or whatever animals I can with it, and hopefully eat them. Question, is that materialism, or is that just something I wanted? That one probably falls in the category I wanted, because I'm not going to impress anybody with that rifle. Nobody except maybe a hunting friend will probably see it, ever. Right, Freddie? I mean, that rifle's yours, and you'll be in a blind by yourself, and you'll take it to your truck by yourself. So, so you see what I'm saying? I'm not like, ooh, look at my rifle. Look how important this rifle has made me. That's where materialism starts kicking in. Your ego... Has a, desi- has a need for that. So that's where the obsession comes from. And America is one of the worst countries. You know, we are obsessed with stuff. 
And this is a very dangerous thing. So let's, like I said, let's, let's keep on, on the rhythm here because I don't want to get it. Um, go ahead and give me the next one. I think we can, um, yeah, let, let's just, this is a note I put actually this morning. I was, I was you know, tuning this thing up. So at, some point in, so at some point in our forming years, we are taught that things makes us secure, thus creates an emotional addiction. So materialism also creates an emotional addiction, which is basically based on approval and security. All right? So now we're really working on this ego materialism area now. So when you talk about, well, what's the difference of I just, you know, myself, I'm going too fast, let me slow down. So the difference between ego, the other word would be self. That's what we've been using. In other words, the you without the anger. <laughs> the you without the jealousy, that, that self. Self wants, self needs. Ego believes that it has to have everything. So it creates an emotional addiction. So you're feeling sad, you're feeling blue, you had a bad day, your boyfriend or your girlfriend left you or whatever, so you run to the mall and buy you something. Question, which one of those three categories did I fall into? That, I mean, that's a, if, you, if you use this little tip, I believe you'll save a ton of money. This is better than Geico. You stand in something says, do I need it? No, okay. Do I want it? Maybe. Or do I want it to impress? Right? You know, boy, I'm not going to go there because then all the ladies are going to look at me mean and I'm not going to do it. No, shut up. Okay, next one. Well, well, this is all like introduction, introduction, introduction. Let's go to Proverbs um, 30, verse 15 through 17, Passion Translation up on the screen. This is so good. So again, Proverbs, and there's a little bit of context on top of it. Anyway, there are three words that describe the greedy. Now, this is Solomon, richest man in the world. Number one, I love this. There's three words. Give me more, right? There are some things that are never satisfied. So he writes, forever craving more. They're unable to say, that's enough. Everybody say, that's enough. <laughs> Here are four. He's talking about things that are never satisfied. So he already gave you one. He said, a greedy man is never satisfied. So, so he's already talking about five, but he's going to use four to support the number one. He says, this is the first one, but I'm going to give you four. This is so cool. He says, these are four things that are never satisfied. The grave. Because, you know, if the cemetery gets filled up, they'll just open another one, right? <laughs> There's always room for more. Yawning for another victim. The barren womb ever wanting a child. You know, a, a motherless child. Thirsty soil. Always wants more. Ever longing for gain. And a raging fire. And I believe the last one he mentions, you could almost use it into where we're going because he goes and says, a raging fire is never satisfied. You've got to keep doing what? Pouring stuff into it, right? Devouring its fuel, they're all, in other words, unsustainable. So let's go back to the first one. The, the very first, so he mentions these things. We all understand, you know, the gray. We understand fire. We understand things. But, but the example that he's used, all those are to support the number one. He says, these, I'm talking about greed. So greed is the ego part, and the Bible talks a lot about it. So I said, if we don't get through it today, so be it. So it really talks about how, you know, this part, 
So if you just turn the word greed out of the way and just use the word ego, it's pretty much the same thing. It's, a, it's a, that part of you that has a sense of desire, okay? Now, let, let's just, um, let's go to the next one. Let's, I'm not going to finish reading it because I've got to move forward. So being, is being materialistic really that bad? Let's break this down. So people, you know, we need money to live. That's why I, the, I was going to get to this, so I got to it now, right? And having money isn't harmful, but if you're able to separate the pursuit of money from the pursuit of experiences and fulfilling relationships. Because pleasure, as most of us already know, is not happiness, right? So let's break this down. So is, 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 is wanting more stuff in your life a bad thing? Well, again, it's not a bad thing depending on what category it falls in. I'll give you one for example. What about saving? What about preparing for the future? Is that material? No, 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 no. Because you see... Biblically speaking, says a good man. How many good men are here? Why did the lady say amen? That was weird. How many good men are here? Yeah, we're not that kind of church yet. Okay. Men represents everybody. Ladies, you're included. A good person leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Right? So, sorry, my kids, y'all don't get nothing, all the grandkids get everything. That's what the Bible says. You can ask them for stuff, right? Um, but that is, a, that is where you see that acquiring wealth, acquiring stuff, is not materialism unless the stuff got you. Unless the stuff makes you feel bigger than anybody else. Are y'all with me here? So... People need money to live, so that we get that. And having money isn't harmful. We understand that, too. That's not the problem. Money is not the problem. The Bible doesn't say ever said that money was the problem. It says the love of. It says the love of money is the root of how much evil? All of it. So you better pay attention to that scripture. So it's not, and some people say, the Bible says money is the root. No, 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 no. If money was the root of all evil, we couldn't do good in Cuba. Because all the money would be evil. Money, all it is, is a magnifying glass. That's all it is. You give money to anybody in this room, I mean, I like a lot of money. If I drop a million dollars and everybody in this room, we'll find out what you're made out of. Some of you might be dead by next week. If you don't have control, if you're not, if you're not under control of your addictions and you get a million bucks, you're dead. I mean, when you were over there buying a five and now you can buy a pound, you're going to kill yourself. Are you listening to me? So money is just a magnifying glass. You give that same million dollars to somebody... You know, like some of these people that come to this church. I'll tell you what, you give a million dollars to our ladies' ministry, they'll go revolutionize Cuba, children's ministry, and who knows where else. Because it just magnifies the heart. In other words, whatever good or bad in there is already in there. And money will only go whoop. Okay? So don't get hung up on, is money good or evil? But what, what ego is, materialistic, is, is where it's harmful if you can't separate the pursuit of money. Pay attention to this one statement. From the pursuit of an experience. Because at the end of your life, you know what, you know what you're going to have when you sit with your grandbabies and you talk about life and they're all grown up and maybe you have great grandbabies now? You know, you're going to talk about experiences. And you're going to talk about memories. You can talk about all these wonderful things that happen in your life or, or hard things that happen in your life. But here's the thing. A lot of people have to connect the money. Do you see that? And unless there is that, so it, so it becomes ego fueled. In other words, I'm going to go on a trip, and I'm going to make a big experience of this trip, and I'm going to, but the, the most enjoyment that I think I'm getting is not being on the beach resting, 
is you seeing my pictures on Facebook. You get me? Because some of you enjoy more of the planning and the showing the pictures and the actual trip. Don't be weird, that was me. I would enjoy planning, and I would enjoy coming back and showing everything how wonderful, and the whole time I was there, I'm like, ah, I don't want to be here, I just want to finish it. <laughs> so that's what I'm talking about. When you tie money into experiences, it gets, gets, it gets, it, it, the ego begins to fuel. I went and bought a car, not because I thought it was an amazing car, but I want you to really look at this car and think how amazing I am. See it? See the ego and materialism? So it, t- it starts signing in. And of course, those relationships... Or the other, the other coin is ego, and a lot of people have this tendency, and, and even modern society and, you know, parents, I know the four languages of love and all that, I get that, but you have to be careful because a lot of people want to buy friendship, right? That's the ego again. I'm going to take you out to eat, not because I want to bless you, I wanna, I'm going you know, to hit you up for something, or I'm going to butter you up. The ego is fueling it. Ego is very possessive. It's possessive of people. You know, tr- phrases that we're not going to change because we use them every day in our life, they're not going to change. But when you say, oh, that's my wife, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my, I'm talking relational. What are you telling? You're, 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 you know, it's just a statement. It's not an evil, but ego is saying, you belong to me. Right? And it fuels, so that desire now means that if I buy you something, because all this is in, the, in your psyche, right? You're not really processing this, but this is what's playing out in the ego. It says, if I buy you something, you owe me something. Because you belong to me, you're my wife, you're my husband. And I did this for you, so you have to do that for me. Hello. So now everything is based on just transactions. So you don't have a wife, you don't have a husband, you have a business partner. And if they don't do their part, you're not committed to the partnership anymore. You're not doing your part. And now we end up in a divorce court, right? So ego has this real weird dynamics. I'm spending a lot of time, but hopefully you're seeing what I'm talking about. That the fulfilling relationships and experiences, you're going to find out that the greatest and the biggest and the most wonderful things that you're going to take with you had nothing to do with your ego. It had actually to do with all of, of, of other people or how you invested yourself into other people. And the other one, I, I put it there, but it's, it's really this idea of pleasure. Because pleasure comes in a lot of forms. You know, we can have from, you know, flesh pleasure, so I don't get specific. We have children in the room. So to, you know, any other kind of pleasure. But the ego believes that pleasure is happiness. So it continually feeds stuff. Well, we got to go on a trip. We got to buy this. We got to go that. We got to go see the new movie. All those things are wonderful as long as they're not fueled by that. Because if it's fueled by that, then you got. That's why we're here this morning. We're talking. How does this work, Pastor? So I'm giving you all a, you know, kind of the building blocks. Okay, let's go. And the next one. Let's just keep moving through these, RJ. By the time I open my iPad, it keeps locking me out. Okay, you guys want some secular uh, nuggets? This is pretty interesting. American Psychological Association. This is, they came up with this. Studies have shown that people who associate material things with success and status are more likely to blow traumatic events out of proportion and to experience depression, loneliness, and relationship troubles. Stop. 
That is, again, we're not being spiritual. We're just taking a, a, you know, a study that was done. But it says people, it doesn't, pay attention to the statement because it doesn't say the stuff or their pursuit. It says the association, people that, who associate material stuff to success. What is success? Stop. Because this is the big ego one. We're all on this trip that somebody said, we have to be successful. Okay, can you define success? Because your, your definition of success is what your parents told you success was. That's not any, and it's not anybody else's. You need to go to school, you need to get a degree, and you need to make a ton of money, because if not, you're going to die. They don't say that, but that's what it makes you feel like. <laughs> You'll die of leprosy. <laughs> you know, make it really traumatic. Why are you not going to college will I die of leprosy? You just will. You've got to go to college. But you find out that people that have a lot of stuff never fulfill having more stuff. And I don't care how many zeros you keep adding to the mix, there's always more stuff. Y'all see uh, Jerry, what is it, Jerry Jones' yacht? There's stuff out there. I forget what the price tag on the thing is. It's insane. It's like a mall, okay, on water. There's always stuff. You're never going to run out of stuff. But, so if your definition of success is somehow connected to stuff, you're on the wrong path. Because, at the, because that, you know, success in the American system, which we were all, well, I wasn't, you know, yes, I guess I was brought up in it. My, my dad was American. But the American system, success is really how much stuff you got. And the success is not being gauged by you. The reason you want bigger and better is because you're letting your success be gauged by other people's opinions. So you got all this idea of success screwed up. Because if you don't know what success is, then what is success? To me, success, you know what it is? I'll tell you what success is at this point in my life. My kids don't hate me. And I know that's brutal, but that, that's... And my grandkids love me. I feel I've reached success. It has nothing to do with if I own anything at all. 20 years ago, it was a different Kelvin. Success would have meant something else. Would have meant a big account, businesses, whatever. Stuff. So I'm saying, this is the message I'm trying to save you all some, some time. Because success, the real success, really is going to be defined by how you interact socially and Get it ready for this. Did you leave the, the world better than when you left it? Did you leave the earth better than when you left it? Well, I can't change this world. No, but you might change a couple people. And those people might have a future and a life and joy in their life because you actually breathe. That's to me a success. Because success is this really weird, you know, this really weird puppy that you know, if we don't handle it right, it will control our life, and you can become a millionaire, you can become a billionaire, and be completely unsatisfied. Your whole family hates you, your kids can't stand you, and you're living in a mansion, but you're very lonely. Because there's nobody around. You burn all your bridges, because you were after success. And while you were pursuing success, all the people that mattered in your life, they just kind of fell by the wayside. Because success was the one thing you were at. Alright? Give me the next one. Ego, and I'm just using the slash now so we, so we use the same word. Ego materialism spawns independence and self-sufficiency 
which are deadly to faith. Now we're going to get, you know, we're going to get into the meat of, of what Scripture says. So ego materialism, one of the biggest things it does, it will kill your faith. And then I wrote this down, I believe it was last night, I said it feeds, ego materialism feeds from the fear of death. Now we're, we're going to, you know, Hebrews chapter 2 says that, that master fear is the fear of death. Every fear in your life comes from the fear of death. So how does ego materialism feed from this? Okay, so it feeds from the fear of death. It believes, your ego believes, that the more status, the more wealth, and the more power it can acquire, it will prolong your life. That's what ego believes. Because, again, I've done a lot of funerals, and not one of them did we have to bring a U-Haul with a bunch of junk into it and bury it with them. Because you're not taking any of it. And but ego says, if I can just keep acquiring, somehow the stuff keeps me alive. That's why it's never enough stuff. Are you tracking on this idea? That ego, ego fears death. So the only thing that it grabs is material stuff. If I can just keep being material stuff, material stuff, material stuff, material stuff, maybe I won't die. Well, you don't think that way. So I'm going to show you a scripture. Give me the next one. Luke 12. I know you guys are looking at me with that attitude like, so let's see if you look at Jesus with that attitude now. Someone in the crowd said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus re- replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So now he's talking about different kinds of greed. That would be a good message, right? Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now who said that? You guys said it like so tired. Hey, Jesus. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told this parable, which I just told you right now, from a different angle. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So we could say he has success, right? Abundant harvest, he's a businessman, successful. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, oh, you have plenty of grain lit up for many years. You're a very successful person. Well, who defines success? Remember that. Because ego has a real weird twist on what success is. So here, this guy has defined his success, and he's, and he's already said he's going to be laid up for many years. He's like, I got it. I'm done. I've got to worry about a thing. got my money in the bank. Got a good investment going. Don't have to give any money to anybody. Don't have to support any good causes. Just take care of myself. All right. And I'm good for at least 20 years. Well, I'll take it easy. I'll eat it, drink, and be merry. Ego makes plans. <laughs> Lots of plans. It's always planning because ego, lo- ego hates the present. I told you that last week. Ego loves the future and the past. Just goes to your past. It gets all your regrets, all the things you shouldn't have said all that, and it always is about your future. And this guy is playing that ego game, so he says, oh, I got this down. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded in you, then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves and not rich toward God. This is, you know, we're, we're, we're navigating now that, land, that, that area where some of you are like, okay, Pastor, where's this going? I don't know where it's going. It's going where the Holy Spirit tells you it's going. I'm just dealing with what the Lord told me to preach. But if you, are, if you think 
you're in control of your stuff, then the question is, are you rich towards God? That's it. Well, you know, I give. Yeah, well, we all give. But are you rich towards God? Amen. In other words, greed is ego. Is three words, right? Give me more. Give me more. Give me more whatever. Give me more love. Give me more money. Give me more prestige. Give me more support. Give me more recognition. Give me, give me, give me. Right? So success now is telling your ego, say you're successful because you built this, you have that, you started a business, you have so much money in the bank, da, 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 da. So all this is building up. I'm talking to believers now. So you're a Christian. And there's so many scriptures. I mean, I, I, I stopped there, but you could even read into some of these things. You know, Jesus is the ideas that Jesus brought about people that were below us in any form, spiritual, emotional, financial, health-wise. And the message of Christ was always, and I believe this is what success is, and I believe this is what purpose is, to take our lives and somehow deposit it into their lives, right? That area, greed gets eliminated because that will cost you time, it will cost you money, it will cost you everything. But when he says, are you rich towards God, greed Ego will put, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna assume this guy was a cultural Jew. That's all I'm gonna say. We don't know his religion. He doesn't really say. But the fact that God is kind of talking to him, <laughs> he said God said to him, means that he's part of the family. Y'all still here? I, I pick things out like that because even though it's a parable, you gotta assume he's part of the house, right? You fool. This night, whatever you thought is done. You know, COVID taught us a lot of things. People that should be here probably aren't here, you know. Good, very close friends of mine, family members. We've buried too many people. But a lot of these, you know, I'm thinking about my very, very close friend, almost a brother, one year older than me, and all the plans and all the plans. We had to go, right, we're going to go fishing. We're going to, ah, you know, and all of a sudden I get a call. He's gone. You see, we can spend a lot of time making a lot of plans about a lot of stuff. But at the end of the day, who fuel the plants. That's the key. That, that's, the, that's what you, what I get out of this parable. Who is fueling the plants? If it's God, you're going to be surprised that his plans include everything you are. And include your success. It includes your finances. It includes your health. It includes peace in your home. It includes... All these things are part of plans, God's plan. But ego will, will fight that because one of the things that God will put a demand on ego is this area. Because materialism, you know, always, you know, it's funny because in our camp, and, and, I, and I, I tread lightly, when I, once, you know, we've been judged of everything. Like, oh, you're a prosperity preacher. Well, I'd, I'd rather be called a prosperity preacher than a poverty preacher. But I still believe there's a lot of things wrong with people that have taken the so-called prosperity message and made a shipwreck out of it. A lot. But there's no such thing as a prosperity message. There's only one message. It's called the gospel. That's it. And poverty falls under the curse. That's it. That, that doesn't mean, because if you're not careful, then, then everything comes out, oh, give me money. And, and you, and all this, you guys have seen all that nonsense, from the guy that sells you wishes to the one that give you a piece of Benny Hinn's tie. All that nonsense kind of falls in this thing, because you know even that, what is fueling that? Greed. You did not give 
if you, if you fell under the, and I've been to all these services, trust me. <laughs> Not that I participate in all of it. I mean, I've, been, I've seen a lot of crazy stuff in, in, in Christianity. But by being there, you know, once you, you know, depending on how your participation is, you say, well, Pastor, I don't want to be that guy. Well, rich towards God. That's what I'm talking about. In other words, is God, because we say, oh, Jesus, we sing about Jesus, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, you're number one, Jesus, uh, Jesus, offering plate, oh, shaka, shaka, let it go by, let it go by. Because, you ready? You're greedy. No, I'm greedy. Every time God tells me to do something that includes my time or my money, and I recoil, I'm greedy. And you guys, you guys get the bug, you know, I'm very, you know, you know my position on the tithe. I, I, I tithe, I'm a tither. I've been tithing. I, I don't have a debate over it. I grew up Baptist, and then when I walked into this again after the world, it was just what you do. I didn't know why, but I did it. But why do people recall that? Because, and, and we'll see it in the next few slides, but it really is that idea. It's not you, you're not a bad person, but that ego, remember, ego doesn't want to die. Ego doesn't believe in death. That's why it wants stuff. That's once it wants to acquire a bunch of junk. Because that's what it thinks it keeps it alive. The same as the ego that was driving this rich man. If I could just have enough stuff, I will remain alive. That's where I got that idea. I didn't come up. I'm not that smart, guys. That's where that idea is. If I can come up with a lot of stuff, my stuff will give me life. Amen. So ego, once again, shows you that it will lie to you and will distract you of your faith. Because the point I'm making right now is one of, the, one of the dangers of ego materialism is it will affect your faith. Give me the next one and I'll show you why. So this is why. Why have faith in God when you have faith in yourself? Why trust God when you have all your bases covered? Why pray when you have everything under control? Why ask for your daily bread when you own the bakery? That's ego. Yes? And thank God you're here this morning because I can talk to the people that aren't. Not all, but you know, this church, we have a lot of great people in this church, wonderful people, a lot of, some people, some come, some people, some people are like, are like the moon phases, you only see them once a month, they, oh, it must be full moon, you know, they're, they're out, they came to church, um, fine, but where everything is coming down to, and that's why, pay attention, I'm just saying this out of my heart, you process it however you want to, when we come up and say, okay, we need money. Because we do. Amen. You know, Laredo, I want to say this very carefully, Laredo would still have a church if it would have been sustained. Laredo, we had everything, right? Everything. It was a great building, great everything. What we didn't have is that the committed people weren't committed. And when we closed it down, the same non-committed people were mad because we closed it down. Right, Saida? They were like, why did you close it down? Well, with your 10 bucks a month, I'm sure we could have kept a $2,500 overhead. Yeah, we were pretty far from it. So we only need 2490 Thank you for your 10 bucks. I'm sure we've got this. You see, that is ego. And that is, you know, that is the thing of every single church in America. And again, we're believing it will never happen here. But every single church in America is under the same pressure. Every, I mean, even the mega churches. There's mega churches that didn't reopen after COVID. That's crazy. But anyway, my point of that is, we claim to be believers, but we act like we're God. 
And the only reason you're, you're behaving that, you're not a bad person, it's your ego. Because your ego is trained to do these things. You know, if I don't take care of it, it's not going to work. And, you know, here's the thing with all this. You know, God is not our little computer program that gives us all the solutions and just does everything. I think that's also something we have to address later on. You know, how, how do you pray? What is your expectation from prayer and so forth and so on? But what you have to be careful is, do you just run to God when one of these things is not? Do you just run to God when maybe not all your bases are covered? Maybe you missed a couple here and there? Do you only run to God when, you know, you got a bad doctor's report? Because, you know, what you're doing is you're, you're taking certain scenarios of your life and you're saying, Lord, those are the ones that I really need you, Jesus. And that's fine. But the problem is the ones that really matter, you're saying, I'm, I'm keeping those. And you're not really saying it's your ego, right? You know, I don't, I don't, I, why should I give money to church? And I had this, you know, and here, here's a little statement to make. And I, and I say that, I even say this to myself regarding what we're talking about. The sin of assumption in the church, this is kind of a side note, side note. Nothing to do with it. But I want to say it now. So if not, I'll, I won't say it. We assume that some that the church just kind of navigates through its own little world and everything's fine and the doors are always going to be open and lights are always going to be on. But it doesn't work. When you guys show up this morning, there's been, you know, Laredo team was here yesterday. They rehearsed. They have all back to Laredo. We have ushers show up early, lights, you know, insurances, so forth and so on. So so when people assume, say, okay, the church is here forever. You know, when I need it, God, you know, pastor will always pray for me. You know, we assume that this is just the way it is. But this is not Walmart because we don't sell anything. Amen. So that assumption comes to this point. If everyone in the church, and you can answer it on your insight, if everyone in the church gave the same amount of resources that you give, everyone, same amount, same number amount, would the church succeed or would the church fail? That's all. I'll just leave it out there. You can hang it out. That's a pretty good, tough question, right? Just assume everybody, whatever you're going to give today, everybody does it. Well, that launches into great, successful ministry into Cuba, or we'll, won't even have money to pay the lights next month. That's just, you know, that's just an idea, because, is that, is that part of the message? Of course it is, because you know who's ha- having that whole conversation? Ego. Because once ego is settled, and I think this is where it really gets to, I've, I was broke, broke. I mean, there's levels of poverty. In America, by the way, in America, there's no poverty. I guess there is if you want to consider America as a standard. But when you say Americans are poor and then you go to, like, Cuba, you know, like, you know, it's a little different. But when you don't have anything and the only thing you got was an unemployment check. <laughs> by the way, I don't want ego to speak right now, so I'm trying to be very humble about what I want to say because it's just, it's just a fact. I knew that... My $231 a week that I was getting for unemployment back in 1990, you know, it was a lot of money in 1990, but it was enough to cover what we needed. I tied off an employment check, $23.10, that's the tithe. Because I already knew that the, that wasn't enough, so I might as well not destroy that and, by not sanctifying it. You see, in my little Baptist head, you know, just simple math, right? I didn't know, Gabby, what I know now, you know, of the covenant. I didn't know nothing. I just knew that's what you did. So to me, that that kind of settled it, right? I, I settled that. I, and I, you know, I've said this many times, and it's kind of a joke now. But back then, for a very short time, you know, we did get food stamps when there was actually food stamps. You, know, you could rip them out. You could go buy beer if you wanted to. If you do the right people. Anyway, that's another story. I'm just saying. I'm, I wasn't saved. Y'all don't look at me that way. I wasn't saved. 
you can actually buy them for two for one, too. Actually, that's another story. Anyway, clearance or what? You guys are like, yeah, I did that. <laughs> Some of you are still doing it with that Lone Star card. I know. Don't look at me like I don't know what's up. You know, I'm a, Give you $100 how much you got on it. But I knew, I didn't really know how it all worked, but I just knew that I had to be right with the one, the only one that could get me out of this mess. And if that meant $23.10, that meant $23.10. If that meant ripping off, you know, a $10, I don't know if it's legal or not, statute of limitations has passed, so I'm good, and drop it in an offering bucket, so two criminals, me and the pastor, all right, because he never gave it back. I didn't know any better. I just knew that what I had wasn't enough. That's it. That's my story of how I'm a tither. No biggie, no huge revelation. The sky didn't open up. It was just, it's something that I had to do that I know even today that keeps me connected to him. God doesn't need your money. So what is this about? It's about your ego. That's all it's ever been about. Go back to the Old Testament. Study the tithe. Study the things. You know, obviously the tithe in the Old Testament was should be today. It's not in this church anyway. It's to support the church and the pastors and the staff and all that. But my point is, the tithe was a covenant. It was just, you're in the right place because God didn't need it. God needed to see, can you trust me? Can you trust me to take care of you? Ego says, no, we've got to trust ourselves. So your spirit says, God's got this. Just sow into the kingdom, sow into Cuba, do something good. You know, use your money for purpose. Your spirit says, yeah. And your ego says, oh, don't be stupid about this, dude. Come on, come on, come on. We've got to think this through. You're like, yeah, and he'll go through all your bills. He'll even tell you all your bills you have for next year. You know, in 2025, you're, you know, you're going to. And then he'll tell, look at the gas price. Look at the economy. Look at the shipwreck that Mr. Biden made with our country. I mean, go ahead, look at it. And ego, ego say, no, no, it's time to store, time to stash, time to store. And that's, and that's not, not necessarily wrong because, you know, we're looking at something. That's where being smart and planning and not doing, you know, whatever to say, you know, I'll tell you something. If America doesn't get on the on the right track, H, we're gonna be, we're gonna be we're gonna be like Mexico was. Mexico's actually. Y'all want baby formula? Go across. I got it. Go figure, right? <laughs> um, we're going there. And Americans, you're gonna learn how to fix stuff. Like, oh, this refrigerator broke. <laughs> Who fixes it? Because we don't have enough money to buy another one. This country needs to get back on track. Anyway, that's a sign. I'm off my soapbox. But ego will always tell you you are self-dependent. Give me the next one. Let's go, let's, let's go on. We'll look at that clock. So I'm not gonna... Self-sufficiency is the great enemy of faith. I already spent a lot of time. Give me the next one. Just little notes. Materialism will also fuel pride and snobs being elite. I mean, believe that's true. Because materialism, you know... When, it is, when we're talking about why do you buy what you buy? Why do you wear what you wear? Why do you drive what you drive? What you live where you live? If it's, I like it, I love that's wonderful. Remember category number two? Nothing wrong. But if we move into category number three, where I am acquiring stuff because I really need people's opinion, what I think, and, and let me tell you something, people don't think about you as much as you think they do. Actually, they don't probably think about you at all. Because the next question, how much do you think about them? 
probably not a whole lot either, right? I'm talking in the general context. But ego doesn't tell you that. Ego tells you everybody's looking at you. Oh, my gosh. You got a wrinkle? How dare you go to church with that wrinkle? So here, you know, it's 9.50. You're taking your dress off and you're ironing out. And now, you know, you, you, you forget the iron, so you run to the kitchen. Now you burn your dress. Now you're not going to church. Because of one little stinking wrinkle that your ego said, you go to church like that, everyone, even pastors, going to notice. That's ego. And that's pride. And that's materialism. All right? Here we go. Y'all want scripture? Oh, this is so good. Let's talk about the Corinthians. That's Jesus. Tell him I'll call him right back. I even thought that was funny. All right. Get back to preaching, preacher. First Corinthians, this church is messed up church. Good church, messed up church with a lot of weird people. So one of the things that the Corinth church has, they were wealthy, they were arrogant, they were Greek, my God. You know, these were the snobs of the time, right? The philosophers, the, the Olympians, all this came from Greece. And the Corinth church, one of the most wealthiest churches one of the strongest spiritually gifted churches and one of the craziest churches. How does that work out, right? I'm talking sin and morality, crazy stuff. So then Paul brings this statement right at the get-go of his first letter. So he's barely, in the, he's barely in the chapter 4, right? He says, for what makes a distinction between you and someone else? Think about that. What do you have that grace has not given you? And if you received it as a gift, why do you boast? As though there is nothing, as though there is something special about you. you got to love Paul. Now let's stop there, because I've seen all this in ministry. I got, I got the gift of healing, church. Watch it now. Because those gifts, they're not yours. They're actually on, they're Lent. And you can move in all of them, by the way. I'm not going to go in. We did a whole lot of teaching on the Holy Ghost. You know, there's not just, this is my gift. That's ego, right? And you, you want to snuff that gift? Take possession of it. So he goes on to say, why do you boast if there's something special? In other words, guys, anything good in your life, and I don't know, about, I don't know how your life has tracked, but my life tracked pretty simple. My track was really simple. From the age of 14 to the age of, well, 12, 13. No, actually 14. From the age of 14 to the age of 26, absolute crazy as you can get wild, all right? Come to Jesus <laughs> with nothing. So anything from this point forward, I got to be careful to, you know, again, I'm, I'm, everything I track now, I say that, I say, is that ego going to say it? No, back up that. Everything in my life, he gets all the glory. Because I already proved to everybody that Kelvin, when he's in charge of Kelvin, he zeroed it out. Not even zeroed out, we were like in the red, right? Ojalá, <laughs> zero. So I've, I'm already good with that. You know, I'm, I'm fine with this. So maybe you're not. Maybe you're life. But here's the, here's the key. What makes the distinction between you and someone else? Your car? Your education? Oh, how smart you are. How good you play the guitar. How good you play the bass. What makes you superior in your eyes? Because that's a question. What, what's the distinction between you and someone else? Tell me what's the difference between you and the person under the bridge? Grace. Say it. Grace. That's it. There's no other difference. You, you found grace. You found God. 
I'd be under the bridge if I hadn't found God. Probably, I'd be dead. I'm pretty sure I'd be dead. By now. I'd probably have like no. You know, my path of life, you know, right? Like a few months before I gave my life to to God, buddies of mine were in a shootout with BPs in the river. One guy got shot in the face. He did 20 years. That's the kind of people I was running with. <laughs> I, thank God I wasn't there that time. That's the only reason I wasn't there. I mean, crazy stuff. So I know that when I came, it was zeroed out. So everything from that point forward, he gets all the glory for it. I have no, nothing left. Anything you see good in my life, don't even look at me. It's God's. Nothing. I really haven't done anything. You know, if I, if I was able to do a good business deal, it's because he gave me the smarts. If he told me when to invest, it's because he gave me the smart. If he told me when to, you know, shut up and when to talk because that would make me money or what, he's the one that gave me the, you know, it all came from him. And that's what Paul was trying to make because they, let me tell you what their fuel was. I mean, they're not their fuel, their feud. In the Corinth church, the division had, a, had come up, and this is really interesting because I'm going to make a point out of this one. Because Apollos, you know, being Greek, and he was a friend of, of Paul, they worked together to establish the church in Corinth. But when it grew up, and it was a big church, a lot of believers, you know, Grecians and the philosophers and all these super smart people were there. They said, no, 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 we have to make camps because that was, that was the school of philosophy. You know, you, you know, every philosopher had his camp, right? And they said, we're of Apollos. Oh, no, 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 we're of Paul. Church split, 101, right? That was actually, that's probably actually the first Baptist church right there. No, just kidding. I can poke at y'all because I was one. And if you received it as a gift, why do you boast? Oh, I know you already have all you need. Here it comes. Since when did you become so content and rich without us? So what Paul is saying is, first of all, it's stupid that you're fighting about Apollos and me. We're one. And by the way, now that you got, you're on the gravy train, now that you've got everything going for you, guess who you forgot? You forgot us. And us not meaning Paul and Apollos, us, the men of God, us. The God aspect, the spiritual aspect. And because they had eliminated the spiritual aspect, they were always in contentions, they were always fighting, they were always in church splits. You go back up, he says, the reason I can't give you meat, you bunch of babies, that's what he said, is because you're always fighting. Go read it, it's in there. I know that's like Pastor Bob's translation, but that's what he said. He said, if you all stop fighting, then I, can, then I can give you something that will help you. So he goes on, let me finish this, he says, I know you already have all you need. Since when did you become so content and rich without us? You already crowned yourself as royalty. Who did all this? You. You, you, you. Oh, we're good. We got it. This is like a corporate ego trip, right? We got it together. We, we, you know, we're rocking this thing. And then he goes, you already crowned yourselves as royalty, reigning on your thrones. And here he comes, leaving us lowly apostles far behind. How I wish indeed that you were really reigning as kings already. For that would mean... We would be reigning as kings alongside of you. That's a lot to unpack there, and I don't have that much time. But basically, the meat of that, he's saying, you guys think you got it all together now, don't you? You know how many people have come to this church? Again, thank God you're here this morning. And I'm not, I'm not talking recent history, I'm talking general. Guys, we've been doing this for a long time. And they come in, broken lives, broken everything, just torn to pieces, hang around for a while, life gets better. Because that's what God does, right? You make better decisions when you hang around God. You have more peace when you hang around God. So life gets better. And then they say, Pastor, pay for me, I need a job. 
pray for the job, get the job. Life gets better. But then somewhere in that, they forget where it came from. Ego kicks in. Oh, you got it down. Yeah, you had a little rough time there, but you got it up. You don't need the church anymore. They were there, you know, band-aid, it worked. Let's move on with life. Church, apostles, that's old-fashioned. Let's just do life. That's exactly what he was talking about. That you were broken, you were down, grace showed up, it built you up, and then arrogance kicked in. Don't you ever forget where Jesus found you. Ever. The moment you forget where Jesus found you, he goes in control of you. And there's so many scriptures. I, on this point, you guys should have seen the stuff I deleted. <laughs> there's a lot of time into these teachings, guys. Because it's all through the Bible, from the old to the new. Don't forget where it came from. Don't forget where it came from. Don't forget where it came from. Because if you forget, you will go back to the gods that, that I delivered you. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And it goes on and on and on and on. So he goes on to say, you know, at the end says, for that would mean that we would be reigning as kings alongside of you. And here's the only point he says, is if you guys were on the right track, thinking that you got it all together and that you're organized now, that you don't really, you know, this debate about a policy, you know, it's whatever, we don't really need the apostles. If you think, how come we're not on the same track? So here's my little point of that. When you're part of a church, the leadership, not just the pastor, the leadership and the congregation should be in rhythm, always. Like if I say Cuba, you should be excited. You know, it should be your excitement. And that's what he's saying, you know, it, as, if ego is under control, God can do something. But when egos kick in, it's very hard for God to move because ego says, I am God. I am God of your life. And that's why we, you know, every time, you know, your, your spirit says, hey, you know, Support a pastor in Cuba, and then, you know, your, your bank account says, you can't do it. And the ego says, oh, you can't do that. But the thing is, if God prompted you to support that, it's because he was about to teach you teaching of faith. Hey! You know how many times, that's gauge, how many times, H, have we had the money to do anything? Yeah, like in the bank. Can you remember one? In tw- Come on, you've been here almost 30 years, bro. No. <laughs> no. We're going to do a convention in Mexico. It's going to cost $25,000. Yeah, the check just bounced. Yes or no? Back then, we were bouncing checks, and we didn't have money in the account. But we were doing all the little conventions back in 2001, 2002. Yeah, well, he was the... He, he, you, know, you know why he's denying that? Because the ego says, that's not part of me anymore. <laughs> My point is, if the Spirit of God tells you to do something is because he's about to drop the provision when you take that first step. I've never experienced, when God said, you know, I came back to electro, I can't really say the word, why can't I say electrocoagulizer machine? What is that? How much does it cost? I don't know. God said to buy one. We didn't have the money. I don't know how much it costs. I told him, hey, you need to figure out, where do we get to? You're the doctor here, go get one. He doesn't know. Came up with some number, what, $4,000? We didn't know I didn't have $4,000. We didn't have any. We, we, I just sitting in Cuba talking to some people. And, and you know, this lady, wonderful lady, she's with Jesus now. And this came up. I'm just sitting there in a little rocking chair in the Cuba moment, afternoon. And the Lord says, you need to buy one and bring it to Cuba. Wait, what? Wait, wait, wait what? What is it? <laughs> where do you buy them? At Walmart? Or where do you get them, Lord? That's all he said. And if you're not careful, ego will take that and say, oh, God, are you kidding me? 
you know how much trouble you're going to get to if you bring that machine to Cuba? You know how much it's going to cost? And besides, you've got a lot of stuff to do in heaven. Look, come on, look at the church. In it. And here we go. So ego can come in all different shapes and forms. It is always undermining God's plan. Ego will always undermine it. And that's what's happening with the church in Corinth. When they were nothing, oh, Apollo and Paul, our apostles, are wonderful. Once they got some revelation and insight and knowledge, they became arrogant. And once you become arrogant, then you say, oh, I don't really need God. I'll go into church on Sunday. Every Sunday's getting so old. I wish I could just stay and stay in one day. Yeah, so do I. Okay. But who are we going to honor? The one that changed our life? And we honor, hopefully you don't come to church to see me. Hopefully you come to church to honor God. To say, God, you're so worthy of, of the goodness in my life. I will be on Sunday at 10. And I will serve. And I will, you know, I'm here. So that was losing. And because that got lost, this is the end of this point, the church had all kinds of sexual sin, money issues, crazy doctrine. And it started with ego. When an ego takes control of anything, it gets really weird. Amen. Give me the next one, RJ. I need to wrap this up. So, 1 Timothy 6.17. Command those who are rich. Nothing wrong with having money. That's not the theme. We already talked about that last week. In this present world, not to be arrogant. Don't you ever think that your education, your wealth, your, 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 it made you something. No. The only reason you are you is grace. And we talked about, you know, last week we talked a little bit about pride. They're, they're, not all pride is bad. You know, I said... If you feel proud because, you know, you're out there and you built something, you finished a job, and the only person that saw you do it was you, and you're like, wow, that's good. That's nothing wrong with that pride, or your son or your grandson does good in school or sports or, you know, your daughter is graduating. All that should make you feel proud. That is not what we're talking about. That, that's, that's the good self-pride. I'm talking about the pride that keeps saying, I'm better than everything. I'm better than you. I got this together. I got more money than you. I got more smarts than you. I got, I got, I got, I got. That's what, that's what Timothy was talking about. Next one. This guy, uh, Francisco Sionel Jose, and Jose is his last name, not his first name. Not that it, you know, he was a Philippine writer, kind of anti-revolutionary, opposed China, blah, blah, blah. But he became, I found this statement by him, it was so good. He says, we are shallow because we have become enslaved by gross materialism. The glitter of gold and its equivalents, for which reason we think that only the material good of this earth can satisfy and we must therefore grab as much as we can while we're able. Does that define materialism? Pretty much, right? And that is what he was referring to. He says, you know, we've become so shallow because everything is not about public opinion. What are people going to think? And I acquire, and I acquire, and I acquire. And I'm still hitting on that last, last point, that the one thing that you keep forgetting is God. God's house. The one thing that keeps you on the right track is Him. Amen? All right, give me the next one. So the danger, you find one in 2 Chronicles 26, 19. Now, again, I'm just going to put one thing out of here. It says, but when he had become powerful, and he's talk, talking about uh, Uzziah, I think, King Uzziah. He also became proud, which led to his downfall. Simple statement. I'm not even going to finish reading it. When he had become powerful, nothing wrong with being powerful, God made him powerful. God made him king. Y'all still with me? Nothing wrong with having good stuff and nice everything. The, the, you know, the key is the ego. Because the ego will destroy it. It says, which led to his downfall. Now drop down to Hosea 13, verses 4 through 6, message translation. 
I'm still your God. No, no, back up. Right there, I have it right there. And then I'll read another one. I'm still your God, the God who saved you out of Egypt. I'm the only real God you've ever known. I'm the one and only God who delivers. You guys got that? He's it, right? I took care of you during the wilderness and hard times. Can anybody say amen? The hardest time of your life, and my truly, he always, there was always somehow food was on the table. Now, not everybody's been there, but we've, we've navigated this. I'm the only one God who delivers. How many have been delivered from something? Three people. All right. Well, both, all of you got delivered from hell. You can say amen. Thank you. In case you were looking for something to be delivered from. I took care of you during the wilderness and hard times, those years when you had nothing. I took care of you. How many times is he saying this? He's trying, he's trying to get you to understand something, right? I took care of you, took care of all your needs, gave you everything you needed. You were spoiled. You thought you didn't need me. You forgot. Again, not all of them, but a lot of those empty chairs. Right. This is the way it is. What value do you give God in your life? Not faith way. What value, what value has this spiritual experience? I mean, here's, here's my point. If the church shut down tomorrow, is your life still pretty good? I mean, you don't really need us? I mean, if you're, yeah, I'm sure you could find another church. You've got to have to drive now because there's not a whole bunch of them left. But I'm saying, you know, if it's church, that side thing on the street like stripes, I only need it when I need to go get gas, fill up my tank, see y'all next Sunday, and, and whatever missions or whatever the church is involved in, I could care less, because it's not really about that, it's about me. You thought you didn't need me. Got me. Okay, now that, give me the next one. Now from the message. <laughs> just, things become important when you have an internal void. And when your internal world is deprived, it's only natural to want to fill it with external things. Now, that's not, that's not the message. That's just, you know, sorry, I, I missed a typo there. But here's a statement I'm trying to make. When you have an internal void, and that's what I started this, that void, and we're about to land this thing, is what we've been talking about all morning. So, Pastor, I'm a Christian. I'm a born-again. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so am I. Question. And I'll answer for myself so I don't have to answer for you. I still have to deal with it. I'm not better than anybody. But the more I become aware of this ego system, if I can use it this way, this ego mechanics in my life, I begin to see it. And I begin to see little habits that I create that are ego-driven, right? You go, for example, you go to a store to buy whatever you're going to buy, you know, a need or a want. Nothing wrong with that. But then you just happen to go by the shoe section and then, come on, ladies, say amen. Well, men are worse. I don't, I'm pretty bad about it. The other day I figured I have, all, I have like you know, 10 or 12 different pairs of shoes and I'm like, I'm not a caterpillar. Why do I need all these shoes? I mean, you only got two feet. But when you have an internal void, those things become very important. These shoes look good on me. See where we're going with this? That internal void will never be filled. You can be filled with the Holy Ghost. You, Christian, pay your tithes. Do everything I've been talking about. But unless you get this ego guy under control, he will never be satisfied. 
He will never be satisfied because he drives from pleasure, from the future and the past. Past remorse, future wishful thinking, present, he doesn't want to know anything about the present. Right? So ego is always wanting to fill it with external things. So once again, next time you are, you know, people place their thing. I need a vacation. Why? Because you're actually going to go rest or you just want to run away from something? Both. Yeah, we all need that. Yeah, I think that's a good reason to go on vacation. Sorry, that, don't use that one as an illustration. That's actually a good reason to go to. My point is, you know, what drives us? What drives us? And the more, the more it's in my face, Al, the more I, I can see it. You know, the more it's like, yeah, thank you, Lord, because I begin to recognize it, right? Like, no, that's ego-driven. I'm not going there. And you know what you f- I have found out on this quest? And I'm, t- I'm going to, guys, I don't preach stuff out to you that I just figured out last week. I've been on this. This, I didn't put it in message form till recently. But I've been on this probably since, like, September last year. Personal. My personal search for clarity and understanding on a ton of things. And I found out that one of the biggest obstacles in my search for clarity and understanding was my ego. Because ego will put a twist on everything. Ego will define everything, everything, everything. People, and why did they look at me, and why didn't they go, and it it never stopped. So the more I recognize it, the more I can control it. And that really is what it is. Ego is, I think... You're not full unless you get this. You're not full unless that person, oh, my God, they didn't, you know. Remember, we were joking about last week, you send a text and they don't answer, and here goes ego. Three dots. And then you go to sleep at night, and I hope this is not you, and you're sitting there, and you're like, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that 20 years ago. No? Come on, raise your hand. I mean, you, you just got to... And so I think the Holy Spirit said, like, shut up. I'll, 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 I mean, this is Kelvin Boggs, man. I'll sit there and like, you know, five years ago when you had that fight with him, right? You really messed up, didn't you? Five years, she doesn't even remember that. We've had like 20 better fights than that one by now, you know? But your ego goes back to that place and it wants to fill it with something. But again, all the satisfactions of ego are very temporary. Right? You go get it. Ooh, I got the new car. It's great till you get the first payment. Then you're hiding it in the back. You know, that, that, that's, not, that's not happiness. Pura raza. All the white people are like, oh, we don't understand that. No, you don't, you don't know raza, that's why. <laughs> oh, what a great... You have to make this service fun because if not, you guys would be really upset at me. Okay, let's finish it, RJ. Keep it. I think that's it, right? Okay, this is a fix. <laughs> I think I think this is the last one. I hope it is. Don't get weary in well-doing. That's pretty bushes. For even during a season of severe difficulty, tremendous suffering, and extreme poverty, I'm, I'm reading 2 Corinthians 8 out of the Passion, their superabundant joy overflowed into an act of extravagant generosity. For I can verify that they spontaneously gave, not according to their means, but far beyond what they could afford, they actually begged us for the privilege of sharing in this ministry. I've never had that problem from you guys, like, chasing me down the street, like, Pastor, please take some money for Cuba. That hasn't happened. I wonder when that's going to happen. But it happened to Paul. Anyway, they begged us for the privilege of sharing in this ministry of giving to God's holy people who are living in poverty. Oh, it just became crazy relevant to Faithway, didn't it? Because that's what we're doing in Cuba. We have brothers and sisters that are living Now, if you need one more TV to your collection of four big screens versus helping somebody in Cuba, 
You deal with that. That's between you and the Lord. But there, you're going to find these things in your life like, oh, we have the 72, but we really need the 80. And we got pastors that can't support their families? Are you kidding me? And you don't think ego has a hold on you? And you don't think the kingdom... You remember what, way back there, like an hour ago, when I said the God part of it? The God part of it? You know, what, what Jesus told his eye? What is the God, you know, be rich for God? This is what it's about, be rich for God. What is God, you know, where's God's heartbeat? Find out where God's heartbeat is. It's not, it's not a secret, it's in the Bible. And one of, one of the places that his heartbeat is very strong is with the poor. That's all through the Bible. Even in the Old Covenant, in the promises, God made exceptions for poor people that weren't even nation of Israel. And he made adjustments. If the poor comes, we take care of it. It doesn't matter what nation is. And this is really the fix. Because the fix came down to this one little statement. I'm going to pull it out of here. Uh, they actually begged. And then it says, they exceeded our expectation. Here it comes. Pay attention. By first dedicating themselves to the Lord. The, now, now what's, all, what's all this going on here? The, Paul is writing the church, the, to, to, writing a letter you know, sending the letter in front of his visit to the church in Corinth. He's telling them, chapter 8, chapter 9, especially chapter 8, get the offering ready. When I come there, I don't have time to be picking up offerings and fundraisers and all that. He said, when I get there, you have this money because we need to help the poor in Jerusalem because they're being devastated by the Romans and by the Jews. That was the mission. Now, bring it to, to modern language, whatever you want, to, you know, Mexico, Cuba, whatever. But the point of it is the reason, and the, and the Macedonian church was one of the poorest, you know, poverty-stricken churches you could ever find. So when they said, Paul, we want to be part of helping our brothers in Jerusalem, and they begged him, that came not from a place of wealth. This is what I got you to understand. When you look at your life, and you look at all the stuff that's in your life, you have to, you know, you have to engage it. You have to say, okay, all this stuff, or little, or much, whatever it is, you know, what has that made me? Or what is it that, why is it even there? And they had resolved that because they said, we don't have anything. But we resolved that we will give ourselves first. Before any money exchange, before any offerings, the key, that's why I say the fix, was a dedication to God. Not to a church, not to a preacher, to Him. 